Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Before we dive in, let's, let's open in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you uh, that we live in the shadow of the resurrection. Uh, not only that Christ has risen, but that he is risen indeed today. And that we live lives uh, with a newness of resurrection in Christ. And that informs the way that we live, the hope that we have, uh, even the way that we interact with those that are closest to us. And so God, pray that your resurrection would transform us by your spirit this day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, one of my friends had the honor of accompanying his father on a honor flight. Uh, you may have heard of these honor flights before, uh, but basically what they are is they are plane rides to Washington, D.C., in which they take veterans and take them to some of the memorials that commemorate their service, as well as some of the memorials that remember those who died in war. And one of the most amazing parts of that whole honor flight is when they come home and they get off the plane and there is a tunnel of people waving American flags and cheering them on to honor them as they return uh, back to home. Romans 13 says that we are to give honor to whom honor is owed. Uh, it is right to show honor uh, to certain people who deserve honor. We honor those uh, who have fallen in battle for Memorial Day, which is coming up. We honor those who have fought in the military on Veterans Day. We honor those who have changed our country with Martin Luther King Day and President's Day and Columbus Day. We honor teachers with Golden Apple Awards. We honor community changers with banquets and plaques. Uh, on lighter note, we honor athletes with standing ovations, and we honor actors and actresses at award shows. We are made to show honor, and we are made to receive honor when honor is due. But the funny thing about honor and honoring others is that it is far easier to honor people we don't personally know. It's far easier to honor famous people than it is to honor the people sitting right next to us, right? It's easier to honor Abraham Lincoln than it is to honor your father and mother. Today and for the next few weeks, God is going to call us to honor those that are the most difficult for us to honor, which are those that are closest to us. He's going to call us to honor our bosses, to honor our church elders, and today to honor widows and honor others in the church. And so if you would please open up to 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you, and it is page 992 in the Red Bible. Uh, you will need that today. If you don't own a Bible, that is for you to keep as a gift from Jacobswell Church. Uh, today, after the Easter season, we are jumping back into 1 Timothy, which is God's blueprints for the local church. 
God did not, uh, God did not leave the structure of the church and the function of the church up to the imaginations of, of men and women, but instead, by his grace, has given us these blueprints through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, the pastoral epistles. And this letter of 1 Timothy is written by God through the Apostle Paul to a youngish minister named Timothy, who oversees a local congregation, but also the churches throughout Asia. And so far, Paul has addressed, just to refresh our memory, he has refreshed to us how we are to treat false teachers, what is the true message of the church, how and who should govern the church, and most recently, how Timothy, as a minister of the gospel, should conduct himself. Today, we're starting the second to last chapter of 1 Timothy. We should finish it the Sunday before Memorial Day. And here, God is going to start drawing our attention on how we are called to honor those who are hardest for us to honor, which is to honor those closest to us. So let's go ahead and read the entire passage, and then we will work back through it as we go through the sermon. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. Verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that, it may be, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Romans 13, give honor to whom honor is owed. What does it mean to honor someone or something? Well, it means to show value to that person or to that thing or to that position or to that office. It means to show reverence and esteem and dignity. 
It means to show respect. And as we mentioned earlier, it is much easier to honor famous figures than it is to honor familiar figures or family figures. But as this passage tells us, to honor those who are closest to us is, quote, pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And so let us start this honor flight journey over the next three weeks as we discover how God is calling us individually to honor one another. First, we see in verse 1 and 2 how we are to honor others in the church. It says in verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Our natural tendency as human beings is to hang out with people who are in our own stage of life, who are our own ages. Uh, teens like to hang out with teens. Young adults like to hang out with young adults. Uh, retired people like to hang out with retired people. We like to hang out with people that are a lot like us, which is fine. But the reality is the majority of the congregation here, 80% of this church, is not in your stage of life. And the Bible expects that we are engaging with one another across the age barriers. And so here Paul instructs us how we are to engage olders and how we are to engage youngers. And that's what we see in the first two verses. And so let's start with honoring olders in the church. Look at verse 1 with me again. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Verse 2, older women as mothers. No matter what age you are at, there is a temptation to dismiss and dishonor older generations as if they are out of touch with reality or they are behind the times. We can also become impatient and frustrated or harsh with the slowness of older generations. Just yesterday, I was driving behind a car that was going 10 miles below the speed limit, and it was very difficult for me to be patient in that moment. But Paul says here that instead of rebuking or chastising or belittling older men and women, that we should honor them by encouraging them like a father or mother in the faith because they are a father or mother in the faith. When Trish and I were first married, we lived in Columbia, Missouri, and we lived away from my parents and from her parents and there was a Christian couple that adopted us. They were empty nesters. Their names were Sandy and Tom Daly. And they would have us over for meals. They would actually employ us to do some yard work around their property. Uh, they would get us nice gifts for our birthdays and things like that. And sometimes I would say to Sandy, I would say, you are like the mom I never had. And she would say, well, what about your mom in St. Louis? I'm like, oh, that's the mom I did have. You're like the mom I never had. I have a biological mom and dad whom I love and whom love me very much, but there are many people in my Christian journey and in this congregation who have been spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith. It's not that my parents are subpar by any measure, but I need more than just my physical mom and dad. I need spiritual mothers and fathers in the faith who can help me grow in my relationship with Christ. Flip the script around. I have four kids, and I love them more than any other person does besides God, and I'm probably tied with my wife. But I love my kids. I'm crazy about my kids. 
But with that said, I hope and pray that my kids would have many fathers and mothers in the faith. In fact, they have already had many fathers and mothers in the faith through Awana, through Vacation Bible School, through youth group, through being over at their friends' houses. And I'm so thankful, so thankful that they have other spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith besides Trish and myself. Christian older saints in the church are not a liability. They are a tremendous blessing. They are the fathers and mothers you never had. And we are called not to chastise them, but to honor them by encouraging them to continue as spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith. Now, how about youngers? How are we to treat youngers? Again, verse 1 says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, and then younger men as brothers, and older women as mothers, and then younger women as sisters in all purity. Again, there is a temptation to dismiss the younger generation in the church, it's tempting to think that they are foolish or that they are unwise because of their lack of inexperience. But here Paul is saying, again, do not chastise them like they're little kids who did not clean their room, but honor them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage them to use their gifts, to share their fresh opinion, to do great things for God. Don't treat them like little kids. Treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ because that's what they are. I don't know if you've noticed this about Jacobswell Church, but we do not organize our small groups according to age bracket. We don't put all the retired people in one bracket and all the young people in another bracket. And the reason why we don't do this is because God has called us to be in relationship with one another in the church, people of every generation, to have non-biological fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers in the faith, to also have non-biological sons and daughters and granddaughters and grandsons in the faith. And so if you only relegate yourself to hanging out with people in your own stage of life, you are actually robbing yourself from the blessing of the fullness that Christ has in his church. You know, I do not have much complaint towards our church. It brings me great joy to see how you all fellowship during the time before the sermon and after the service. There are some Sundays where we just leave the church, we lock the doors, and we say, the the doors will lock behind you because people are hanging out with one another across generations. And it is so wonderful to hear how you love each other and care for each other, not just on Sundays, but during the week through community group or going for walks or having cookouts. I praise God that we are loving one another across generations and pray that we would do so more and more. And so just to recap, we are to honor others in the church. We are to honor olders and youngers by pursuing them, being fathers and mothers in the faith as well as sons and daughters and not chastising them, but encouraging them as being precious and valuable to you in your own journey with Christ. Now with this in mind, Paul narrows the focus a little bit for the rest of the passage and sets our eyes upon widows and widows in the church. Look at verse three with me. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. We'll get back to that word truly later, but a widow is a woman who has lost her husband. And the reason why Paul focuses on widows is because widows were some of the most vulnerable people in the church of that day. You see, in our culture, there is financial safety nets through the government and through life insurance and other things to help provide for the elderly. 
But in that time, there was nothing like that. You see, in Paul's day, when, they, uh, when there were children in the home, uh, the, usually the, the husband would be the breadwinner, would get the, would get the money and bring it home. Sometimes the woman would have a side job, but no major source of income. And so if the mother passed away, the father could still provide financially for his household and for himself. But if the husband passed away, her financial income would be eliminated overnight. Again, in our culture, it's structured differently, but I think there are still a lot of needs amongst the elderly today. Sometimes it is financial, but sometimes it is more emotional or relational or physical. And so the question is, who should provide for widows? And yes, I'd even say widowers in our community. Well, first we see that families are to provide for related widows. To honor widows includes providing for them in all the ways that I just mentioned, financially, socially, relationally, spiritually. And this is a privilege and responsibility that first and foremost belongs to the children and grandchildren. If you've grown up, if you have grown children, um, actually, let's, let's look at verse four here. Verse four with me. It says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. If you have grown children, maybe you have said to them something along this lines of, one day I changed your diapers, someday you will be changing my diapers, right? This is kind of what the Apostle Paul is saying, is that your parents have made a massive investment in your life. They have reoriented their schedule, their finances, everything to raise you up. Even as a child, when you were completely helpless, even to hold up your head, they were there for you. They fed you. They clothed you. They took care of you. Now, we know that no parent is perfect. I'm sure someday my kids will be in counseling talking about how awful their dad was. None of us are perfect, but it still was a sacrifice of love for your parents to care for you. And here Paul is saying, now is your opportunity to provide a return for everything that they contributed to your life by taking care of them. And so this might mean for some of us in my generation that you are starting to save money with your parents in mind if they don't have the finances to care for themselves in the future. This may mean that you need to think about them potentially moving in with you someday if that is necessary. It may mean that your retirement is not as restful as you hoped it would be. The primary care for widows are their children and grandchildren. You know, it's so funny because this is something I did not think about at all in my 20s, in my 30s, and I wouldn't even think about it today if it wasn't for so many of you in the congregation who have shared about uh, your helping of your aging parents and about how hard it is. I, I, as I thought about this, just off the top of my head, I could think immediately of seven people in the church who have cared for their aging parents, and I'm sure there are a lot more. And everyone who I have talked to who's helped care for their aging parent would tell me it was probably the hardest thing they had ever done in their entire life. And so I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want it to seem like a Hallmark movie where everything is sweet and happy and fancy. Taking care for your parents is difficult. But verse 4 tells us that this is pleasing in the sight of God. 
Christians, may I encourage you, and, and I need to encourage myself with this as well, that as you help your aging parents and grandparents figure out how to use a computer mouse, as you help them learn how to navigate their phone or the medical system, as you have to help them get on and off of a toilet, as you tell them for the same story for the third time in a row that afternoon, this is pleasing in the sight of God. Children, let me talk to you for a second because I've been there, I know what it's like. I know that going to visit grandma and grandpa may not be what you want to do on a Saturday afternoon. I know that it would be way more fun to hang out with your, your friends, to run around, to play video games, to watch TV, to, to do any of those things. I know it can be hard to give up a Saturday afternoon to hang with your grandparents. But God says when you do that, it is pleasing in his sight. Now what's interesting is there are exceptions to this. Look at verse 5, and it gets a little bit confusing because Paul jumps back and forth. But verse 5 says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplication and prayer night and day. In other words, as we'll find out later, a true widow is a woman uh, who is too old to work and too old to get remarried. And so she is completely dependent on God to provide for her needs. And so she prays to God and petitions God night and day to provide her daily bread. Verse six goes on. It says, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. We'll get into this more in the next point. But for the family in particular, the call to care for your widowed mother or grandmother does not mean that you need to take care of all of her wants, but you need to take care of her needs. It does not mean you need to fund her self-indulgent lifestyle. It doesn't need, mean you need to fund her gambling addiction or her desire to fly to Tahiti. You don't have to fund those things, but you have to help provide for her needs, her needs of food, of shelter, of care, and of love. Verse 7 continues. It says, Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are hard words to hear, aren't they? It's kind of like, whoa, 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 Paul, settle down, right? Like, if we don't take care of our parents, we have denied the faith. Well, you see, family was God's idea. It was God's idea for how we are to care for one another. God calls us to honor our father and mother. And for a Christian to not take care of their parents is to deny the created order, but it's also to deny the gospel itself in which God sacrificially gives of himself to take care of us in our own neediness. Paul goes one step further here and says that a person who does not take care of his parents is, quote, worse than an unbeliever. Why would they be worse than an unbeliever? Well, because unbelievers honor their parents. Unbelievers love their parents, care for their parents, take care of their parents. And if you as a Christian, if you are a Christian, do not take care of your parents, you bring disrespect upon Christ and his church. And so if your mother or grandmother is truly a widow in need, if they are legitimately 
needy financially, relationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It is first and foremost the duty of the children and the grandchildren to honor their parents and their grandparents by providing for whatever needs they have because this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Now what happens if a widow does not have children or if a widow has children that are unwilling to take care of her or unable to take care of her for any reason? Well, at that time, what we see is the responsibility falls upon the local church. Let's look at verse 3. I want to trace this theme of true widow a little bit. Let's look at verse 3 and then 5, and then we'll get down to verse 9. Verse 3 says, honor widows who are truly widows. And so Paul is making the distinction between true widows and not true widows. Verse 5, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and contains in supplication and prayers night and day. And so it's someone who genuinely is in need because they have no other way to provide for their daily needs. Skip down to verse 9, and we see here a more systematized, uh, formulaic process that Paul gives into uh, uh, identifying who are the true widows, okay? Verse 9 says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years old. Of age. You may wonder why 60 years of age. Well, I think you just have to pick an age, right? Like for us, I think it's 62 is kind of when you can start receiving some social security or things like that, right? For them, it was 60. And the reason why 60 was a number was because this was the age that it was determined that women generally could not work anymore or get married and be provided for through marriage. Paul moves on to give character qualifications of women that are to receive support from the local church. He says, having been the wife, the wife of one husband, literally a one-man woman, someone who is faithful to her husband, and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality that has opened her house as a ministry to others, has washed the feet of the saints, she is a servant, has cared for the afflicted, that is, the hurting and the marginalized, and has devoted herself to every good work. Very simply put, the church sought to honor and provide for widows who lived honorable lives and provided for others, starting with her husband, then her children, and then the people of God, and then the needy at large. These were the qualifications to receive ongoing aid from the church, and that they must be over the age of 60. Now, what about those under the age of 60? Why does the church not provide for the widows younger than that? Well, verse 11 walks us through that. It says, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. So, We have to look at this word enroll a little bit. It comes here in verse 11. It's also up there in verse 9 about enrolling widows into some sort of program of some sorts. Commentators believe, a lot of commentators believe, is that there was a formal system in which women that were over the age of 60 who have lost their husband could commit themselves to the church and to Christ for the rest of their lives, pledging to never get married again, but to be in service of Christ and the church. And in such situations, the church would provide for them financially, maybe a home, maybe food, whatever it might be. The picture that comes to my mind comes from the Catholic church where a a widow uh, can become a nun. And she can live in a, co- in, a, in a convent, and she's taken care of. 
Uh, her food is provided. Her shelter is provided. Maybe it's something like that that this is talking about. So it makes the whole thing a little bit more confusing. But Paul says to not put the younger widows on the roll because these women can still get married. They can still work and earn an income and provide for themselves. And if they enroll in this program, they might be tempted to be unfaithful to their vows to the church, to remain celibate the rest of their life, and to get married. And if they marry an unbeliever, they could abandon their faith as they adopt the gods of their husband. And so Paul continues to explain why they don't provide for younger widows. Verse 13, he says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. In other words, Paul is saying the church should not fund an early retirement system for women or for men. If they do, they will be enabling them to live a self-centered destructive, sinful, lazy life. She will be a busybody, but not for fruitful things. She'll be spending her time watching Judge Judy and The Bachelor and visiting with the ladies at the bridge club and gossiping about anyone and everyone. The church must not enable a slothful lifestyle. They must let mercy limit mercy and provide for those who are genuinely in need. Verse 14 continues, And he says, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household. Once again, Paul is reminding us of the beauty of the family as God has created it. The beauty of womanhood and of motherhood. The beauty of raising children to know and love and serve the Lord. The beauty of loving a husband and having a husband provide for his wife and a wife provide in many ways for her husband and for her children. He is saying this is beautiful, this is holy, this is glorious. Seek these things again. Verse 14 continues, says, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. I think the adversary that Paul is talking about here is not Satan himself, even though it comes in the next verse. I think he's talking about those who are adversarial to Christianity. You see, anyone with common sense would look at the church and say, why are you giving all of this money to this young woman who is perfectly capable of working and earning her own livelihood? Why are you giving this money to this woman who is maybe going to get remarried and can have provision that way? And so if they do something that does not make any sense, it actually brings shame upon Christianity and upon the name of Christ, and it leads those away from Christ and towards the ways of Satan. Final verse here in verse 16 is kind of a summary verse in many ways, but it says this, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them like she would care for her own kids. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are, and then here's the word again, truly widows. The church does not have unlimited resources. God has unlimited resources, and he gives the resources to the local church that he has designated is healthy for the local church. It does not have unlimited resources, and so it needs to use the resources to care for widows who are truly widows, who have no other way to provide for their needs. I may have shared this email with you before, but there is an older, congregation, uh, older couple in our congregation Uh, they probably wouldn't consider themselves elderly. They're not very elderly, but I think they get to discount coffee at McDonald's. So whatever that would make them. 
and, uh, and, and they came down with COVID really hard. Uh, they were bedridden, uh, and they were stuck, and the fall had come, and leaves had come down, and it had stacked their yard very high with leaves. And he wrote me this email later. He said, I also wanted to share something with you about the Saints of Jake as well. A couple weeks ago, when our yard was absolutely a foot deep in leaves, about 15 folks from the church came over and raked our leaves. I was too sick to even get out of bed and see who specifically was in our yard. In previous years, the leaf removal has usually taken us three full days. This year, we never once asked for help. My prayer was to, was to hope that God would send a wind. He did. He sent his spirit who indwells each believer. Those kind Jacobsville Christians demonstrated the love of God to us in an unforgettable way, causing us to, quote, wonder how the heart of God could care so much for us, end quote. His kindness is beyond our comprehension. Again, I do not think we are a perfect congregation by any stretch of the imagination, but I love the heart of our people here at Jacobswell that seek to care for those who are genuinely in need, emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually, and even financially. And so just to recap, who is to provide for the true widow's in the church. Well, first and foremost, it is their family, sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters. But if they have no family to take care of them, the church is to step in and to be that family and to provide for the needs of the widows. But what about the widows outside the church? What about our neighbors on our street in our neighborhood that are widows? Who are to provide for them? Well, as we look through the scriptures, we see that God has a heart for widows. Deuteronomy 10 says, God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Exodus 22 says, command, uh, commands us that we should not mistreat the widow. Psalm 68 describes God as a father of the fatherless and a protector of the widow. Because God loves the widow and cares for the widow, he calls his people to do the same, to provide for them in whatever way they need provision. We see this even in the Old Testament law. Deuteronomy chapter 24 says this, it says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. Why not? It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Very similarly, when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. Why? It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And then here is the motivation. Verse 22. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. In other words, God is saying, God is calling them to live sacrificial lives of generosity. To, to provide for those who are vulnerable and helpless, widows, orphans, sojourners. Because at one point in time, they were helpless and vulnerable in Egypt when they were slaves in Egypt and God had sacrificially pursued and rescued them and brought them out of slavery into a land flowing with milk and honey. If this is true for the Old Testament people of God, how much truer is it for us today in the shadow of the resurrection? Ephesians 2 starts by saying we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people can't do much. Dead people are very vulnerable. Dead people cannot make themselves alive. They are dependent on others to resuscitate them. 
And then later down in Ephesians 2, it says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Why would we sacrificially and generously help vulnerable and helpless widows? It's because our God has sacrificially and generously helped us when we were dead in our sins. While we were dead, he showed mercy and grace to us, and he saved us through Christ's sacrifice on the cross and drew us to himself and has poured out upon us the blessings of being children of God. And now we have that opportunity, an obligation to show this gospel love to the most vulnerable people in the world, including widows. In our neighborhood, um, our neighborhood was built, was, was built in the 80s, and so there's a lot of empty nesters. But, but in our neighborhood, there is a widow that lives close to us. And uh, she, to be honest with you, she does not need any financial help. She's doing fine. I think they had good life insurance for her husband. Uh, she does not even need physical help. She is probably in better shape than I am. She's always out there doing yard work. She loves to do it. But where she probably needs us to be the church is relationally to love her, to engage her. And so we'll have her over occasionally for bonfires. We'd love to have her in our home. We we have sought to be a blessing to her and she has been a blessing to us. You know, my hope is that as a church, when the leaves fall, when the snow comes, that we would be the first people to pick up a rake, to pick up a shovel, to go and look for those who are in need and to help physically, but also more than that, to connect with folks relationally who are lonely, to welcome them into our house, to go into their house, to take time to sit and to talk and to love them well. James 1.27 says this. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So yes, it is true. The family is the first and foremost Frontline entrusted with honoring and providing for widows in need. And those in the church who have no family, the church is entrusted with being their family. But to those outside the church, all Christians are called to show forth the gospel of love by caring for the widows that God has put around us. Let me end with this. In, in Mark chapter 7, uh, the Pharisees are trying to corner Jesus because. Jesus' disciples aren't following all of their rules. And so Jesus responds to them in this way, Mark 7, 9, and says this. He said to him, you have a fine way. Can you put up that slide real quick? He said, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father and his mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God or an offering devoted to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God, which is to honor their father and mother by your tradition that you have handed down. Basically, what was happening was that these religious leaders were saying to people in the temple, in the church, hey, if you don't go serve your parents, that's okay. You can come and serve the temple, and you can consider that Corbin or an offering devoted to God. 
Uh, as you probably know, we named our oldest child Corbin after this verse. And I remember uh, my father calling me and saying, you know Jesus is rebuking them, right? He's rebuking them for calling this thing Corbin, serving in the temple instead of taking care of his parents. I said, I know, but, but, but look how beautiful the rightful use of it is. The rightful use is saying that going to serve your elderly father and mother, that is Corbin. That is an offering devoted to God. It is pleasing to the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been given this great opportunity to do what is pleasing in the sight of God, to make an offering devoted to God, to serve the widows that are in our family, in our church, and in our community. Let's pray. Lord God, I know that this passage uh, is very convicting for me. Uh, it makes me realize how I need to do a better job caring for my own parents, to not just dismiss it because I'm busy with church stuff. God, pray that all of us would, be, would grow in our love and compassion for those who are in need, whether that be orphans, widows, or widowers, God. Help us to keep a bandwidth in our schedule keep margin in our finances, to help bless those who are looking for the blessing of God. Lord, may we always be reminded of your grace and your love to us when we were vulnerable, when we were dead in our sins, and how you have poured out your grace and your presence upon us. May we go forth doing the same with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.